So here is the dilemma that I have kind of wrestled with for, for a week now, and that is in light of my two weeks away, in light of being in China, being in Korea, in light of your support and allowing that to be possible, for those of you that have been here in the church for over three years now, four years, you know that this has been kind of an ongoing thing. Every summer or fall, I've been away for anywhere from two weeks to four weeks, continuing my education in my uh, doctoral studies, which still has a ways to go, just for those of you who've been asking. Um, but but how, uh, how to share some of this with you without it turning into a kind of a school report. And um, got a chance to do a little bit of that with the videos uh, that we were able to send. few of you that, that were here a couple weeks ago had said that um, I looked like I was uh, huffing and puffing a little bit on the Great Wall video. I was. <laughs> a lot. If you've ever been to the Great Wall, the steps on the Great Wall of China, for those of you, they, they go from like this to this. I mean, there's no, there's no consistency, so it's, it's quite a workout. Uh, but I wanted to share some of that with you. And so I decided what I'm going to do over these next few weeks. And today we're just going to introduce a little bit of it to you. And we're going to continue this in a, in a sermon series for a few weeks. And to share, really not a, let me tell you about everything I did. Not that I, I certainly don't want to share that with you, but um, some of you would be interested and some of you would be bored. But to share, in light of some of the things I experienced, the reflections that I was having in regards to what it means for us to be the church. And the challenges for us in this place and at this time and in this, these moments to be who Christ has called us to be. Because this trip was not a sightseeing tour, though it was a part of that. This was education. This was a chance to, to spend time with church leaders in communist China and in free Korea and to see what God is doing. But again, even that is insufficient if it doesn't in some way begin to shape the one who experiences it. And that would be me. And I hope in some ways that will be us. So we're going to spend a few weeks, and I'm going to kind of cherry pick some of the experiences, and we're going to frame them a little bit. And I think God's challenge to us to, to see things a little differently. Because that's what traveling allows us to do. It allows us to experience things that are outside the norm. And, and whether or not you've traveled to distant countries or in your own experiences you know, in life, there are moments that we all face where we feel out of place. We, we don't feel connected. We don't fully understand the culture and the language or the traditions or the practices. And those can be very uncomfortable. They can be tense moments, and they can be incredibly valuable. They can be incredibly valuable if we allow God to speak in the midst of those. And so that's part of what I experienced. That's part of what I want to share. I called this sermon series Ignorance Abroad. Uh, and, and this is why I did that. When we, before I left for, for China, one of, the, one of my friends in the, in the program started sending, telling us to watch these video clips of a television show on one of the cable channels called An Idiot Abroad. If you haven't, some of you may have seen this. Uh, Ricky Gervais and another, uh, who's an English actor, they send one of their goofy friends to all these places all over the world, and they videotape him trying to assimilate into very different kind of cultures, and they call it An Idiot Abroad. I like the title, but I didn't really want to call myself an idiot. So uh, I went with ignorance abroad, and, and this is why. Because I left knowing I knew a little bit, a little bit about China and Korea. I came back knowing I knew even less than I thought I did when I went. 
You know, you have one of those experiences where even what you think you know, you didn't know. And so in many ways, I feel I come back knowing even less uh, because of the depth and breadth and, and width of, of the experience. So ignorance abroad and stranger in a strange land. Let's take it from Exodus chapter 2, verse 22, when Moses names his son Gershom, which means a stranger in a strange land or a foreigner or a sojourner in a foreign land. There's a various ways to, to translate that. But in those experiences, I felt very out of place in some, at some moments. And, and I thank God for those moments. So we're going to share some of that together. Before we do, though, I want to read our scripture from 1 Kings chapter 8. Just a couple verses, 41 through 43. Now, this is what you need to know is going on. This is Solomon at the dedication of the temple. The temple that his father David had longed to build. If you know the story in, in the Old Testament story of, of David's desire to build this temple, and he wanted to do it, but God told him, no, it wasn't your project, it wasn't your time. His son would build that project. And so Solomon becomes the builder of, of the temple for years, gathering the necessary um, supplies, and then for seven years, the actual building of that temple, which for generations was the center of the Jewish faith and is still a holy place and a revered place. And so this is part of Solomon's dedication of the temple. I'm just going to pick up a few verses at verse 41. This is what he says. He says, As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when they come and pray toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Do what the foreigner asks of you, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your own people Israel, and may know that this house I have built bears your name. Friends, sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Lord, help us to hear, to hear from heaven, to hear from you, and to begin a journey together to be challenged in what it means to be your church, your people, your witnesses, your servants. We pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. All right, so let me share for a moment. In China, after what was a painfully long plane ride, um, total, yes, about 17 hours on the way over. It's been worse coming back, side note. This jet lag is not a joke. Um, but, uh, but after being there, we, we flew to, to Beijing. We spent a couple days in Beijing. That's where I was when you saw the video of us at the Great Wall. So that's where we started. We finished our trip in China in uh, Shanghai. Shanghai... Um, how many of you have been to Shanghai? A few of you have been. All right. The perspective, I don't know how to, to, to communicate this. There are just not words that can tell you how many people live in these cities in China. There are 20 million people in Florida. 20 million people that live in Florida. There are 24 million people that live in Shanghai. 9,600 people per square mile. It is crazy. And uh, so that's where we finished the trip. Now, Beijing's the political capital. Shanghai's really become the business capital. In the middle, we went to a city called Xi'an. We traveled by an overnight train, which sounded like a really neat experience. I'm glad I did it once. 
once. Um, and, and there was a lot of, and, and this is true in all over China, but there's a lot of historical significance to Xi'an and, and some of the things. But, but one of the, th the neat things about Xi'an was it was the one city that we could kind of explore on our own because our hotel was kind of in the heart of the city where we could at night go and walk and you could walk down the shopping districts. It's amazing how Western China feels. You know, I had this mental image, this was part of my ignorance of, of going into a communist country and, and not seeing some of the same kind of things you see in American cities. There were shops and malls and, and all those same kind of things, and Baskin Robbins and McDonald's and KFC. And I mean, it was, in many ways, it looked like a Western city and very bright and very lit up. But near the hotel, you could start to explore the back streets. And the back streets is where life was radically different. It was what I, I think it was the most genuine sense and feel of, of some of the Chinese culture that, that I got. And... I, I took a few pictures and I shared. This is, this is one of the, the back streets. Now, you know, as I said, it's just packed with people and it's bright. And, and there are, it's, it's like an outdoor mall. There are just there's storefront and storefront and storefront and storefront serving food and um, herbs and medicines and just, just everything that you can imagine. Most of the things I had no idea what they were. Probably didn't want to know in all those kind of senses. But it was, it was just just jammed with life, and, and it was small. What happened is you'd have these merchants that would be out, they'd be cooking noodles or soups or, or meat dishes, and they'd cook out on the street. I, I didn't get a great picture of it, but you can kind of see to the left here. You know, they'd have these food vendors and things, and then they'd have these little storefronts where you could go and sit and if you wanted to eat. I mean, there was stuff here that we would never get away, that the health department would never let us pull off here. Um, and so... But, but what was interesting about walking these streets at night was this wasn't kind of created with Westerners in mind. You know, in the shopping districts and stuff, the people didn't speak English, but they had things in English, but not here. And you really stood out as, as Western, fair-haired, blonde-haired, you know, you, you were noticeable. And we could hear people talking about it. We know what they said, but we could hear American every once in a while. And a few of them didn't want anything to do with us. And so the first night we were here, um, my, my, one of my best friends in ministry, Mark, he and I walked, and we observed. I am, by nature, and I've said this before, I fall on the introverted side of the scale. So I like to go and watch, but I don't engage a whole lot. I'm not the one that's going to jump in and try to communicate when I don't know the language. It's uncomfortable for me. So we walked, and we just we took it in. The second night, went back out again. This time I went with um, five other guys that are part of my kind of small group within the... There's 47 of us that were on this trip. But there's 10 of us that are in a, a called a cohort that have been together for three years. And um, we kind of span the, the gamut of, of personality types from high introverts um, to high extroverts. One of the, the guys in the group, his name's Fred. He's a pastor, district superintendent in Minnesota. Fred's a high extrovert. He is ideal to go into these kind of situations with because he talks to everybody. He jumps in. He jumps in. Those of you that are extroverted, you're, you're this way. You're the person that jumps in. I love being with people like that because I can ride the coattails. <laughs> I won't jump in, but I'll follow and I'll observe. And so, so Fred is, was one of those kind of personalities. So we walked around for probably an hour and a half just taking it in. About the time we were getting ready to turn around, 
we came upon this little, and I call them storefronts. I mean, they're tiny. Um, and there's no facade, there's no wall. I mean, they're just open kind of holes into the buildings, really. And there was some sort of a party going on. People were dancing. Uh, they were having a good time. And so it caught our attention, so we got closer. And when we did, this is what we started to see. Now, I'm going to get you a better picture. You're not going to be able to make sense of this. But this guy's painted in red. And uh, we could not figure out what was going on here. So Fred jumped in. Okay, now, let me also add this. This is the Muslim section of Xi'an. Um, now, it's not, you know, we, that kind of makes us, but, but there was no tension around that. But there was, there was customs and traditions that we were just unfamiliar with. And so Fred jumps in and asks if he can get a picture. So this is the picture. This is that guy right there. All right? What is this? So Fred asks, one of the guys there speaks a little broken English. This is a wedding party. That's the groom. All right? He's got chains around his neck. He's painted. And they were having some sort of a party around this. So this is what happens next. One of the guys grabs Fred, one of the guys in this party, and says, come upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> you could see in the back of the room the stairs that went up. Now, once they got up to the second floor, you couldn't tell what was there. The, the second floor of the building was blacked out. Fred went. <laughs> Eric, another member to pastor up in Chicago, decided Fred shouldn't go alone, and Eric's a little more daring than the rest of us. Eric went. The two of them disappear upstairs. Now, we were all invited. Four of us were like, uh-uh. And I stood in the street, and I wondered what was going on upstairs. I wondered, and somewhat nervous about what was going on. But this is the other thing that I started to wonder. Why didn't I go? Why didn't I go? Because I'm on the, f I'm on the fence between those two things. So there, that when you ride the fence, that means there's a part of you that's being pulled in two different directions. The part of me that won was the, the, was the safe part, which is like, I'm not going anywhere where I don't know what's there. I'm not going anywhere where I don't know what's on the other side of the wall or the floor. But there was another part of me that was like, kicking my bone. What if it's something really neat? And I sat there. And that's the experience. I'm going to come back to the story. I'll finish this a little bit. Let me get him off the screen. Um, <laughs> but, but it was that barrier. It was that unknown that won the day for me, that kept me on the safe side of, of the stairwell, if you will. Now, let me tie this in for a moment to Solomon. Solomon is standing, and he is dedicating the temple, this place where the Jewish people would believe is the most significant place to experience God's presence. Not the only place, but it would be the central location of their faith, the place that they would pilgrim to. It would play a, a central role in the ministry of Jesus. And he's consecrating, he's blessing that. But he does a very interesting and out of the expected, um, or something that's out of the expected or out of the norm. And that is he prays here, in these two verses that I read, he prays for the foreigner that is going to come and worship at the temple. Now, that may not seem so out of the norm unless you understand the culture, unless you understand the, 
the tendency of the Jewish people and really of all the nations of the world at that time, at least in that Mediterranean basin, in the sense that they were very possessive of their gods. The one thing that made the faith of Israel so unique is they believed in the one God, the God of Abraham, whereas most of the nations had a multi multiple gods. But, but they believed their gods were for them. In fact, very often in military conflicts, when one side would win, they would believe it was because their God was stronger than the God of their opponent. We see this in the Old Testament as well. And so, and, and certainly Solomon prays some of those very specific blessings for his people and for the Jewish nation. But then he, he does this that, under, that reveals that he understood something about God's call upon the children of Abraham. And that is he prays for the people that are going to come to the temple from outside the tradition. From those who don't speak the language or, or are not part of the, the, um, uh, the ethnic makeup of the people of Israel. For those who will come who don't know their ways, that there they would have a powerful experience of God's presence. That there God would hear from them and would bless them, not just his own people. Remember, when God called Abraham, he said, you will be a father of many nations. And he uses that call to communicate that he's going to call these people of Israel, this specific people, to then go out and to reach the world with his truth. And the problem was the Jewish people kept forgetting that. And that's, Jesus had all kinds of issues with them. When he drives out the money changers there in the, the, the court of the Gentiles, it was because they were profiting from this separation. The Gentiles and, and those outside the faith were no longer allowed into the sacred places. There was an us and the, them mentality. And they stayed out here and the select and the chosen people got to go into the, the holy places and experience God. And Jesus over and over fought to break down those barriers. And it's interesting that as those barriers get created, that God works beyond them. I mean, when, when Jesus, when the announcement of his birth is made, it doesn't happen in the Holy of Holies. It doesn't happen in the temple. It doesn't happen to the religious leaders and the Pharisees. God announces it to shepherds in the fields and wise men from a foreign country. And when the John the Baptist began to baptize people into a baptism of repentance, he doesn't do it at the pools that surround the temple where people had become separated and walls had been built. He goes out into the wilderness where those barriers do not exist. The good news, the truth, the message, the experience of God was for all people. And Solomon is trying at the very beginning to break down the barriers that will keep some people out. And I began to wrestle with barriers. I began, as I sat there in the streets, looking to a second floor, wondering what was going on, began to think about the church, began to think about me as a leader, began to think about my own hesitancy. I didn't want to venture because I didn't know the language. I didn't know what was going on. I was uncomfortable in the setting. I began to think about us. How intentional are we? How thoughtful are we about asking ourselves, where have we created barriers? Where have we created a culture? Not intentionally. I don't think anybody in here has intentionally thought to themselves, I want to be a part of a church that seeks to keep other people at a distance. I, I don't believe that at all. 
But where have we become so comfortable in familiar with church and with language and with traditions and with ritual and with experiences that we have unintentionally created barriers? And that started to just trouble me because I was not willing to take a step of trust because I didn't know what was on the other side. I began to think how many people surround us, in our families, in our communities, in our relationships, that are hungry, that, that want to know, but they're just kind of afraid because you know what? They don't know what's going on on the other side of those doors that are out there. They don't know. I have talked with people. You know, one of the, the, the small things that we do here, and some of you have asked me about it, and some of you don't always agree, and that's okay, but even in the summer months, you'll notice, even when it's hot, before worship begins, those doors are wide open. Now, I know that is not the most uh, uh, energy-efficient way to behave. But it's a small thing because I believe that those doors can be very intimidating to somebody who doesn't know what's on the other side. See, the longer you're in the church, the less you see it, the less I see it. Because you've been here. You know, it's safe. People are friendly here. We're nice people. What has anyone got to be afraid of? Until you don't know. And I've talked with folks at every church I've ever served. I've heard this story, not often, but every once in a while I hear it, of the person who came to church for the first time and who pulled into the parking lot and turned off their car and never got out and then drove away because they were scared to death because they don't know what's happening on the other side of those doors. And, you know, most of you grow up in a time, as did I, when, when our friends, our acquaintances, our, our relatives, they probably had some experience of church. They may not have gone regularly, but they'd probably been there once or twice. But I'm going to tell you what, my kids, they have friends that have no idea what church is about. They never, ever have been foot into the door. And our traditions and our experiences and our habits are foreign to them. It's like a different language. Now, hear me say, I'm not saying that we need to water down our faith or water down our practices. Absolutely not. We are who God has called us to be. And our practices and our traditions matter. But what I am saying is we need to have the same kind of prayer that Solomon had. We need to pray that God will knock down the barriers that don't need to exist. That we will learn how to understand what is essential to our faith. We're never going to stop doing communion. And you think that language is odd? How do you think that sounds to somebody who's never experienced faith? The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. We hear it all the time, but that's weird. We're not watering that down. We're not changing that. But there are things that we can do that, that God began to wrestle with me. What do I need to see that I don't see? What do I, who do I need to hear from that I don't hear from so that we can be the place? We're called to take the gospel to the world. Okay, we're called to engage in ministry. But there are those who are going to come to us. There are those who are going to wander into these doors because they're searching for truth and they're searching for meaning and they're searching for hope and they're looking for healing. They want to believe that something happens here that will forever change their lives. And it does. And it does. God isn't limited here, but God is here. If we didn't believe that, then why are we here to begin with? We don't, this is not a social club. God inhabits the praises of his people. But what do we need to see? 
to knock down those barriers that become created, not with malice intent, but because we know the routine. We're comfortable. We've been there. And that became my challenge as I stood in the street in Gian, wondering what was happening upstairs. And as the minutes went on, the nerves kicked in as we started to wonder where Fred and where Eric were. Well, let me tell you where Fred and Eric were. That's where Fred and Eric were. Upstairs was the bride. And our friend had just wanted to share that. Now, that's a weird, weird, that's not a good word. That's a strange from our perspective kind of tradition. I don't think Tony would not have been thrilled on our wedding day had we been dragging strangers up to take pictures with her. <laughs> but they got to go up to where the family was gathered and where this bride, we just still don't know whether they had gotten married or they were getting married that night because that's a weird thing to do to a groom before the wedding. But they got to go up and experience this. And I got to stand in the street and stare at it. And I missed something. Because the barrier was too great for me to overcome. Now, there are always extroverts among us who are going to burst in regardless. They want to know what's going on. Fred and Eric are that way. But there's a lot of you and a lot of me that are going to stay at arm's length. Because we just don't know. We just don't know. And this, you know what? Yeah, I missed that. That's all right. I mean, I'll get over it eventually. <laughs> but how many people miss a far more significant encounter, not with a, a bride, but an opportunity to be part of the bride of Christ, the church, because they're just too scared to walk through the doors. Now, part of that is incumbent upon us to reach. But part of it is also incumbent upon us so ask God to open our eyes to the ways that we can create an environment, an opportunity where that fear, to the best of our ability, is removed. And that those can come freely to experience the goodness of God and the beauty of the fellowship of those who are struggling to be the people God's called us to be. And that's all of us. But the prayer became, Lord, in those moments, my prayer shifted for the entire trip. It became, open my eyes. What do I need to see? What do I need to experience? What do I need to learn so that when I go home, I'm a little less ignorant, not just about Chinese and Korean culture, but about the church and who we're called to be. So let this be a primer for us in our life, not just together, but in our work, in our families, in our taking Jesus beyond this place. Where do our eyes need to be opened to, to remove the unnecessary barriers that would hinder anybody from coming and tasting the goodness of God. That's the challenge. I don't have all the answers. I would love to sit and say, okay, here's step one, here's step two, here's step three, and here's step four. I haven't figured that out. But I know that this question, the, the value, the growth begins with asking the question. Let's ask the question. Let's be who God called us to be. And this, yeah, this was disappointing. But to miss the invitation of Christ can have eternal consequences. Let's do everything we can so nobody misses that invitation. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunities to learn. We are all um, sinners in need of grace. We all fall short. And we come here not because we've figured out the answers, not because um, somehow we've gotten it all right. In fact, we come here for the opposite reason, 
We come here because we need the power of your Holy Spirit. We need your strength. We, we bask in your grace because we need it. And there's a world that is broken and is hurting and is searching. And we believe and we know that Christ is the answer. Lord, we never are to water down our faith. Lord, help us to remove those barriers that are unnecessary, to open our eyes so that we can be a welcoming, inviting presence of Christ. Begin to work in us as we ask the questions that we pray will lead us to greater faithfulness. In your holy name, we ask it. Amen.